The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hey, this is Matt Landry, the voice of Anakin Skywalker in Star Wars The Clone Wars. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. This is where the fun begins. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 170. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, looking at the deeper themes and meanings found in the stories and characters of the Star Wars universe. Today, after much anticipation, we're talking about the Ahsoka series. Joining me on the panel are Catherine Laffrey. Hello. Thomas Salerno. Hey there, everybody. And Angela Silana. What's up? <laughs> hey, it is great to have you all here. We have a lot to talk about. The first two episodes dropped on Tuesday, Master and Apprentice and Toil and Trouble. And there's been a ton of discussion since then. I'll do my very best to give a quick summary of those episodes, and then we'll dive into some details. So here we go. After the Empire falls in Return of the Jedi, the remnants of the Empire are searching for Grand Admiral Thrawn, who they presume will lead them in battle against the New Republic. To this end, a pair of not-Jedi mercenaries named Balin Skull and Shin Hati rescue Morgan Elsbeth, whom we saw Ahsoka capture in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Morgan is concerned that Ahsoka knows about Thrawn and is after the map. Meanwhile, Ahsoka is indeed after the map, and she recovers it from a ruined temple on Arcana. But the map is locked, and General Hera Syndulla suggests that Ahsoka's former apprentice, Sabine Wren, could unlock it. Because the map could lead not only to Thrawn, but to Ezra Bridger, described as a hero who sacrificed himself to save the planet Lothal, Sabine agrees and unlocks the map, just in time for Shin's assassin droids to steal it from her. Sabine, who hasn't been keeping up her training, gets stabified. That seems like a good place for an episode break, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we pick up episode two with Sabine recovering in a hospital. Ahsoka leaves her to look for clues and finds that Shin left an assassin droid behind. Sabine is able to decrypt the droid's memory, which points Ahsoka to Corellia, where Morgan had factories during the Empire. Ahsoka leaves Sabine behind to recover. Meanwhile, Morgan and the mercenaries... Wouldn't that be a great band name, Morgan and the Mercenaries? <laughs> yes. Hey, yeah. yeah. Morgan and the Mercenaries, they activate the map, showing the pathway to Peridia, where Thrawn calls to Morgan. When Ahsoka arrives on Corellia, 
back to Ahsoka here. She arrives on Corellia and discovers a massive illicit hyperdrive core, which Hera and her droid Chopper manage to put a tracker on while Ahsoka faces an Inquisitor. Sabine and the ancient Jedi droid Hu Yang discuss whether Sabine should return to train under Ahsoka. She dons her Mandalorian armor and returns to as Ahsoka's Padawan. But at the planet Setos, Morgan oversees the hyperdrive being installed in a massive ship called the Eye of Sion, preparing to follow the map. And that is as quickly as I could, what happened in episodes <laughs> one and two. There is so much going on, but I think I want to start with just like the big picture, general thoughts. And the first question I have is, I mentioned a lot of names in that summary just now. And if you are a fan of Star Wars Rebels, you recognized most of them. If you're not a fan of Star Wars Rebels, most of them are new to you. And so what what do you think about this? This is kind of being described as Rebels Season 5. Um, and, and I'm wondering, how accessible do you think this is to non-Rebels fans? I don't think it's accessible. Well, accessible, yes. Engaging, probably not. Because we have so many characters... And so much backstory that we're trying to shove in people's faces in these two episodes. <laughs> that, uh -huh. um, it's, it's kind of like you don't have enough time to establish a relationship, I would imagine, with these characters. I mean, I, I was just almost like barely just panting for breath at the end. Like, oh, my gosh, we did so much. Like, what's going on? Like, mm -hmm. um, so I, to me... From a production standpoint, they're really in a pickle because they have so few episodes to tell this new story to both new and old fogey people like us who know Rebels and they have to catch everyone up. So in storytelling, we always say, right, show don't tell. But mm. unfortunately, in these two episodes, they kind of had to have like these really convenient conversations like Hera says gee I bet your master had a hard time training you Ahsoka because you're really headstrong right and she goes yeah well my master was <laughs> Anakin and I left the Jedi Order before the Clone Wars you know like that's not really an elegant way to do it but it's just kind of the way that they have to do it in order to get everybody caught up right so um, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of where, where I see things. <laughs> yeah, it, to me, it, like, as a huge fan of Rebels, obviously, I was eating all this up. And I'm just like, this, this is amazing. This is great. But I suppose, like, to, to kind of put myself in the mindset of someone who's not familiar to all these characters, like, have I ever had a similar Star Wars experience? I think it's almost kind of like, Back in the old, like, expanded universe days, picking up, I don't know, the new Jedi Order kind of halfway through. And then, like, just like a random book out of one of those huge story arcs they did in the old Legends timeline. And there's all these names and all these people, and you're just like, huh? Like, where's Luke Skywalker? Who are all these other people? So, definitely mm -hmm. for, for more casual Star Wars viewers, it's 
it's a lot. And even fans of like the Mandalorian will know Ahsoka from that show. But all these other people like Rebel, uh, like uh, Hera and Sabine from Rebels, it, it's going to be new stuff. So, yeah, it's like I, I think definitely there's going to be. I don't know, some maybe some mixed opinions among the general audience about especially these first couple episodes. It'd be difficult to jump into this without having some familiarity with uh, Rebels. And I was glad that they did like Essential Ahsoka episodes to watch, which was helpful. But I had friends that are going, I want to watch this new show. What do you recommend? I was like, watch Rebels. <laughs> you definitely mm-hmm. need to watch Rebels. And it's such a great story. I think it's funny how so many people think of it as like that kid's show. And I'm like, just start watching. You'll see it's not just a kid's show. So it's definitely helpful. And then it was interesting hearing um, a quick short interview. I don't know when it was done of um, George talking about one through six being one story, one movie. You can't separate it out. You know, it'd be like pulling Hmm. one book out of the Lord of the Rings and going, eh, you don't need this book, you know, kind of thing. But I feel like this is falling right into George's story because Ahsoka's you know, his thing right there with Dave Filoni. That's, that's interesting that you bring that up thinking of episodes one through six, the movies um, being one story. And yet it began with episode four and it did. Uh, one of the things that, that the original star Wars did was it drew you into a new set of characters that all had backstory, but it, it did it really um, it introduced them as if they were new characters. And I think maybe where this, these episodes kind of slip up a little is these don't feel like we're being introduced to these characters as new characters. We feel like we're being introduced to them with a sense of, you know, there's a lot of backstory here. Um, and so yeah, I, I also fear that new viewers are going to have a hard time getting on board with it. That said, you know, never discount the viewer. And, um, you know, viewers are smart. And Ahsoka and is apparently getting us. gangbuster numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> if anything, I hope it, it, it brings back like a renewed interest in Rebels, that more people watch that show. Because of Ahsoka, because like I I still see that there's people who comment that they either can't get over the animation style of Rebels because it's different from Clone Wars or that, oh, it's a kid show or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I I just hope that Ahsoka like opens people up to experiencing Rebels for the first time. If if you know very little about it, experiencing Rebels for the first time is going to be amazing because it is such Mm -hmm. A good show. It's one yeah. of my favorite shows, like, period. Not just of Star Wars, but of, like, animated shows. I, I just love it to death. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So speaking of, like, animation styles, and 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 so much of Star Wars is about, like, that, that Star Wars feel. Um, how do you think the show stood up on that on those grounds in terms of like did this feel like star wars did this feel like the world of rebels um yeah just the aesthetics of it i mean for me it felt like yeah we were right back 
to the original feel and style. It was episode four blended with Rebels. You had bright pops of color every now and then, but the classic uniforms and just all those great lines. And yeah, there was so much of it that was so well done. And just seeing like quote unquote live action, you know, versions of Lothal and other things like that were just fabulous. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I think um, I was mostly distracted by (laughs) seeing all these (laughs) characters in live action and having them look so close to what I was used to in Rebels. Um, That was that was fantastic. And also, like I said, distracting. I really didn't get to enjoy the story and the character relationships until my second watch. Um, And in addition to the aesthetic, like the look of it, the sound of it was perfect because we had Kevin Kiner doing the soundtrack who um, also did Rebels as well. So uh, absolutely perfect, in my opinion, as far as the music went. And um, I have to mention that song that was playing while Sabine was escaping town. Um, Hmm. I don't know if it was Hatties that like punk rock sound. But that was I heard so it described great. as Hatties punk rock, if that's true. Yeah. That, uh, but but I thought that they she should have been listening to the band from uh, that that episode of Visions, which is yes. what, I love. That, that would have been great. Oh, that yeah. would have been, been amazing. What are they called? It's uh, Star Wave, right? I think that's yeah, the name of the band. Maybe they weren't too. They weren't hard enough. Like they needed to ah. portray her as like you know yes, yeah. super rebel, right? So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, as for the the look and feel of the show, I was transfixed from like the first frame. I was just like I was glued to the screen. And I'm sure we'll talk about this later that like it it's really a slow burn. It's got a slow setup, especially some of those early scenes. But I was just watching everything intently, just trying to take in every detail of these amazing. I, I don't know if they're sets or mostly done in volume, but they were just beautiful. And like just the attention to detail really got me even little things that like other like most people wouldn't notice. Like when um, uh, Ahsoka arrives at home one where the other ship has been scuttled, there are Mm -hmm. X-Wings doing combat air patrols. And I'm like, yes, Mm -hmm. that's exactly what militarily you would do in that situation. And just the, the the attention to detail of every everything in it. I, I just thought was great, even more so than shows like Mandalorian. I feel this show is getting just it's hitting out for me. It hit on all cylinders right out of the gate. Well, it started with some, like riffing on some very traditional Star Wars ideas. So it had a scrolling um, mm-hmm. sort of prologue, um, which was, you know, it, it kind of tonally hit that that Star Wars style. But it wasn't the the kind of moving away from you in space. It was just going up the screen and it was not yellow. It was red. Um, that was an interesting choice. And then it, it, you know, did your pan down to a giant ship moving through and got us right into the action. So very traditional Star Wars stuff right from the beginning. And yet introducing new elements at the same time yeah i would say that probably the first episode was a little bit more traditional star wars than the second one i would say 
in terms mm. of the directorial style because of the shots that they used. Um, I felt like the second episode um, would, could have used some of those more like macro shots, extreme close-ups um, or reaction, like facial expression shots than mm. um, that we would have seen George use um, a la Japanese film. Um, and I think Dave got that right in the first episode. Yeah, I, I see a lot of a lot of people talking about, yeah, this is clearly showing how Dave Filoni is the apprentice to George Lucas's master. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the whole opening scene, the way it mirrors the opening scene of uh, episode four. You know, you're looking down on a ship instead of having one fly over you. The way mm -hmm. their ship approaches from the opposite direction of um, the Millennium Falcon going in. So it was just really neat how it was like just this kind of like mirror image. You're like, this is familiar, but it's not the same. I saw someone else doing a comparison between the opening of Ahsoka to the opening of episode one ah. as well ah. with the, um, you know, the, the crew of the ship being uh, suspicious of the Jedi who were approaching in a ship and, and the Jedi coming in and, um, and it turning into a lightsaber battle. And, you know, the, the dynamic is obviously very different, but. But there are those moments like when, um, the probe droid, I guess like a like a small scout, scout or something like that. Yes. That, yeah. Um, that Shin has, and then she's sort of we see the back of her or the front of her with the droid in the airs, just like Darth Maul with his droid on Tatooine. Yeah, a complete visual quote yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So Filoni is is definitely doing that that kind of very strong visual coding and and maybe some of the other directors uh are not as adept at that as he is um <laughs> yeah or maybe maybe we're saying they have a more original style no judgment here <laughs> <laughs> i was impressed by some of the music choices like in that that opening scene where the the hallway fight with um uh, balen skull it's like piano it piano and i thought that was very oh. interesting and different as he's like you know going down the hall killing all these new republic guys there's just this very simple piano melody in the background but it, it fits that, somehow yeah i i want to say that that was trying to telegraph to us that he is he's like the classic Je he's from the classic jedi era right mm -hmm. like piano is very like traditional classical you think like um, his character has this built in knowledge, right? That he's sort of bringing in the old into this new situation. Oh gosh, there's so much, so much I want to talk about. Well, and maybe this is a good time to start getting into the characters. Um, I, I guess, yeah, well, let's talk about Balin and Shin, um, who are, no Jedi. Um, and yet Balin clearly was Jedi trained and, and uh, you know, Huyang recognized him by his saber hilt. Um, 
what what do you think is going on with i well first off how did that how did their characters and and relationships strike you i just know something bad is going to happen between the two of them the whole Hmm. time the way shin would look at him and his nostalgia you just you sense a tension building and you sense that they'll be easily divided because there's a lot of times where she'd look at um morgan and then look at Balin with, wait, who am I following here? So, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of, a lot of sideways that can happen in that relationship. <laughs> well, I like that Balin's kind of like a wild card, right? Like he's sort of mysterious and we don't, we know immediately to respect him because of his abilities. And um, then at, towards the end of the these two episodes, we get that tease that he's he still respects the Jedi and it would be a shame to kill Ahsoka, right? Um and I I feel like he's he's not necessarily totally honest with himself, perhaps, when he says that he's not being sentimental. Um so mm-hmm. I, I like I like that question mark in front of his character. And I would say as far as the new characters I mean, we didn't get a whole lot of like brand, brand new characters, but he was a highlight for me in these two episodes. I'm glad that we don't know much about either of them. And to me, that's what makes them really interesting. What makes this whole these whole two episodes interesting for me is how much of a puzzle box it is and how many unknowns there are. And and these two characters and their relationships are very much unknowns. And at the same time, they especially Balin, he almost struck me as kind of like a classic Legends character in some way. I can't put my mm. finger on why he feels that way to me. Like, maybe it's just because he's like, he, he kind of fills that sort of dark Jedi role that, you know, those kind of characters were were ver- pretty frequent in the Legends timeline where they're not, they don't follow Sith ideology, but they're, they align more dark side than light side, and they're usually former Jedi but I like that we, we don't know too much about him. And despite the fact that they use dark side techniques and they have orange lightsabers, Balin is continuing some of the Jedi traditions. He has because Shin has a Padawan braid. Right, right. And I, as soon as I saw that, that intrigued me immediately. I was like, oh, that's it. Because at first, I, when I first heard of these characters and people were saying like, oh, they're, they're not Sith. They're definitely not Sith. I was like. I don't know if it dresses like a Sith and it quacks like a Sith, <laughs> then it's a Sith. But that's the thing. They don't quack like Sith. They don't parrot Sith ideology to us. And so that clues me in that they are something different for canon Star Wars. And I like that. I'm very interested to see where these characters go from here. I, I'm with I'm with you, Catherine. I really like the contrast between them. Um, Balin, I mean, you can see it in their, their fighting style, their lightsaber style, you know, Balin's lightsaber is always like at right angles. It's in very precise, uh, almost rigid, um, forms. And Shin is, uh, all over the place, completely unpredictable. Um, very Ahsoka like actually thinking back to Ahsoka's fighting style, especially in the animated uh, series. And, um, you know, it's almost like he is this pillar of civilization 
that has been lost. You know, he's the last remnant of a, of a great civilization and she is almost feral and wild and, and, um, the contract, I don't know if I would say conflict between them. It wouldn't surprise me, but I could also see them like taking two sides of the same direction. Um, but I, I love how much contrast is be- there is between them. Um, yeah. Um, let, let's keep going with the, uh, with the antagonists. Um, we have Morgan, uh, Morgan Elspeth, who we discover is at least a descendant of the Night Sisters, if, if not a Night Sister herself. Um, how does she play as the sort of slightly bigger bad in, in this? <laughs> I like the the reference to Arthurian lore that her she's a witch. Her name is Morgan, so Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> uh-huh. kind of, I was I was pleased by that as a fan of the <laughs> Arthur mythos. That's fun, yeah. Having her be a knight sister makes um, her appearance in uh, Mandalorian that much richer. I was like, who is this? You know, and then to have mm-hmm. her be a knight sister, okay, there's a lot more depth to her. And now you're going, okay, now I can see how she had control over that town. She just didn't, I was ah. like, going, why would they cave to this woman like this? But it's knowing that she's, you know, got her little dark magic issues. So, yeah, I just loved all the 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 temple and everything that was, you know, with her. And just the, the one that they used later on, the one that Ahsoka had gone in to get the map. It was just, you know, really cool graphics to bring what you'd only seen in 2D, bring it out there to the live action was really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also, you know, there was a Night Sister connection when Mother Talzin was connected to the Darksaber arc in Rebels. That's, I don't know, I don't want to spoil too much, but, you know, that's nice to have because we have the Darksaber in the Mandalorian series. And mm-hmm. now we're getting someone who has descended from the Night Sisters. Um, and I think, too, having Balin and Shin as mercenaries for hire is very much all of this is reminding me of Asajj Ventress, who is a fantastic character um, to watch in the Clone Wars. So, you know, she was from the Night Sisters from Dathomir. So to be able to have all of this remind me of her was um, was really cool. But I enjoy having a Night Sister-esque person as the sort of learner of... Uh, Thrawn and this mysterious connection of her claiming that uh, Thrawn was calling out to her across space and time and all of these visual references of the world between worlds that we got from Rebels um, just says to me that there's going to be some sort of fantastical um, element that we're going to you know, experience in the future, I believe. I mean, we also had Ahsoka be a a big part of the World Between Worlds story arc um, or story plot device, I should say. So I'm really fascinated with where that's going to go. And and then we have the the biggest bad of all, Thrawn, Mm. 
And I don't know. I so this is this is my I don't know uh, blind spot. I guess I was never a big fan of the the what's now the the legends or the old extended universe, expanded universe, and so Thrawn is not a um you know, as, as significant a character for me as he is for some, but he did play a significant role in rebels. I loved his role in rebels. Oh yeah. But one of the, one of the things that I got as a strong note of Thrawn's character was how sort of unrelentingly rationalistic he is and how he sort of respects the force and force users kind of in the way that he respects all culture and he finds it fascinating and he wants to uh, learn about it from a kind of aesthetic point of view, but he doesn't actually like buy into the force or, or the culture of those who use it. Um, And so to have this sense of Thrawn reaching out through the force to Morgan um, or at least Morgan believing that she heard Thrawn calling that that struck me as like a new a new direction to take Thrawn um, I'm asking this because I, I think at least some of you know be- know Thrawn better than I do <laughs> uh, I mean it might be in in Legends he definitely respected Force users I mean, and I wouldn't say he feared them. He he knew that they could be threats to him, you know, even even other Dark Force users, you know. And I think that he definitely believed, at least at least in the Legends continuity, he believed in the Force because he's seen it used. Now, in the current canon, in some of the novels that explore Thrawn's backstory it's revealed without spoiling too much that the, the Chiss do know about the force Thrawn's race. And they, they have a different the force users are integrated into their culture in interesting ways. They're not warriors like the Jedi, but they're used for more. I, I can see uh, force users using the force for communication as something that the Chiss would see more as like an acceptable use of the force than like the force for war, just from hmm. the, the culture of the Chiss, knowing that, you know, they, yeah, I don't want to say too much because it would, it would spoil <laughs> a lot of the, 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 the way the force is used in some of the current Thrawn novels in the Chiss culture is very interesting. And I just think that he, he definitely knows it exists. He's known but that's see that's that's going back to what kind of we were saying at the beginning of the episode that there's a lot of backstory here. It's almost gotten to like Marvel levels where you have <laughs> to read or watch um. everything to kind of get what's going on. But if you have consumed all that media, you see things like that and you go, ah, you know, like I can kind of see where the pieces are falling together here. I guess for for me, I, I would question though how. He is able to call to her through the force if he doesn't have other chiss with him. That would kind of mm. be my question. But the the whole thing of it being extra galactic too kind of blew my mind. 
and raised as as someone who's familiar with the legends material raised all kinds of interesting questions because they went extra galactic in the legends material and there are some very interesting cultures and races who could be brought into star wars from that but i think what they're doing is setting up i'm excited because i think they're setting up a clean slate a whole new region for Star Wars to play around with that that is not connected to the wider galaxy that's kind of become a little bit crowded. Like, even the unknown mm. regions are not much unknown anymore. <laughs> we know the Chiss Ascendancy is there. We know Exegol is there, you know. So I feel like to have a true frontier, you know, unknown frontier of Star Wars, going to a new galaxy is the way to go. And that's what really excites me about this series. I think the thing that's most interesting about Thrawn, and uh, thanks to the latest books about him, he's the only person in all of this that has willingly worked with both Anakin and Darth Vader. And knowing (laughs) as much as he knew about, you know, Anakin's path to the dark side. So it's kind of, it's fascinating to think that he is so easily working for whatever benefits him so he's kind of a very much a wild card because if you don't benefit him it's like eh, what's the point you know you have to give him something he loves that knowledge quest his little quest for art to pick people apart and things Mm -hmm. like that so it'll be interesting to see what his role will be in this the fact that i don't think he called out to morgan at all and i half think that was morgan's wishful thinking you know, Balin kind of called her out on that too. But then she was uh-huh. like, yeah, he's, you know, reaching out to me through time and space. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're a little bit too excited to try to get him back. So. So, so again, asking as, as one who hasn't read a lot of the books, um, if Thrawn was working both with Anakin and with Vader in, in you know, throughout the period, what, was Thrawn working also with Ahsoka or was did did Thrawn work with Anakin after Ahsoka left? Here we are getting into like deep lore. I know is... we're going to give away details, but Thrawn knew Anakin before Ahsoka and removed from Ahsoka. It was okay. Anakin was on a far out mission without Ahsoka. So, so... he only knew him br- briefly. But that was also what drew him to come to the Empire because he wanted to go to the winning side. And he assumed that that was the winning side, only to then later on be paired up and have to work with Darth Vader and slowly realize, hey, wait a minute. I know this guy. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh So so Ahsoka does not have uh, a... um... A personal history with Thrawn other than as a member of the rebellion. Okay. Right, yeah. Okay. Just getting all these people. <laughs> <laughs> like even even for us who like know oh, yeah. a lot of Star Wars stuff, there's so much more that I don't know and and yeah. At least in the current novels, Thrawn is for the Chiss if he's for anybody. Even when he was working for the Empire, he was really 
I'm working for the Empire because it benefits the Chiss Ascendancy and for no other reason. You know, they wanted to be allies of the Empire, but not under them. If that makes sense. And they kind of he he was like their man in Havana almost. They you know he was he was the the Chiss he was their man in the Empire, and they allowed him to join the Imperial Navy so that he would rise through the ranks and become an influential mem- member of the Empire and could feed info back to the Chiss, and they mm. would know what was going on in the wider galaxy because the Chiss don't want to be directly involved in galactic politics, but they want to know what's going on because they're very insular and isolationist and they, they fear other factions like the empire and presumably the new Republic now as well. So this is, this is even painting a clearer picture of, of what's going on behind the scenes. The best thing about Ahsoka coming out was I finally got one of my daughters to read all of my Thrawn books. Yeah. She's like, I want to know all the insider information, Mom, that you've talked about all these years. All right. Well, to bring us back to the show itself, <laughs> let's start looking at our, at our protagonists, uh, starting with the title character Ahsoka and th- her foil former apprentice, now new apprentice Sabine. <laughs> there's so much going on there. <laughs> it's kind of weird i mean at least for me it comes off as kind of weird but it makes sense to me that ahsoka was the one that walked away uh because of really like the last podcast episode that we had um we talked about ahsoka's humility and self-doubt and all that um and I assume that Sabine would have been too brash and unwilling to follow when the rubber meets the road. Um, <laughs> so it it made a whole lot of sense as far as that goes. But it was also kind of weird because we never associated Sabine with being a force wielder. Um, so that that part I I had I'm I'm still not fully accepting of but knowing the force not um, accepting that she is or is not not accepting not accepting that she is a padawan learner like to become a force wielder because i really deep down i just want her to be hardcore mandalorian and just do what we saw her doing in rebels because i feel like that's where she shines so i don't understand why we're gonna have her now become a force wielder other than her desire to help save Ezra. Right. So, um, which, you know, that could really, I mean, I don't want to use that excuse for everything. Right. Like I don't want them to be like, well, Sabine will do it because it, it'll help find Ezra, you know, <laughs> like you just fill in the blank. So I, I don't want that to happen, but um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what Dave Filoni has up his sleeve for that, because knowing the force, we know that, yeah, your midichlorian level um, (laughs) does sort of indicate how strong you are in wielding the force, but also anyone can tap into the force theoretically, right? So, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, it called back to the way the Force is described in the original trilogy, where kind of everyone has the potential, 
but not everyone unlocks that potential to use the force. And so to, to me, it, it kind of jived with that more than like the midi chlorian <laughs> explanation. Yeah. I just feel like she doesn't need it. She doesn't, mm. she doesn't need to be a force user. Um, I'd be fine if Ahsoka was training her in the same way that Kanan was training her to use the dark saber just to mm-hmm. give her that little extra edge. But even when Kanan was training her, the best thing was, is then she had some Mandalorian instruction too, which made her a better mm-hmm. Mandalorian. Besides, she's got all those skills with bomb building. It's like, I want to see more of that stuff. Right. She had the best yeah. bombs. <laughs> yeah. They were so artfully done. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut Thrawn reference. <laughs> Thank you. That was brilliant. <laughs> it was artfully done. Artfully done. It's, it is kind of interesting that, like, those of us who know Sabine from Rebels, the Sabine who shows up in this ser- in these two episodes anyway doesn't have many of the like distinguishing characteristics of Sabine in Rebels like you say the the bombs the they hint at her artistry um but but they don't go into much detail on it you get that she's sort of techie and she's she's really good at at you know doing mechanical and techie things but but not much beyond that. And um, yeah, you get the sense that, oh, she's a failed, a failed Padawan of, you know, someone who wants to be a Jedi, but doesn't have the aptitude for it or something. And that's, that's not how I would, that's not the first thing that would come to mind to describe Sabine at all. At the same time, Sabine has always had this side of her, that wants to be something that she's not. And I wonder, I hope that that's kind of the direction that they're taking her character is she's maybe developed this false idea that she needs to be a Jedi. Um, and that in order to become, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he's counting on her. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I wonder if that's something that she's going to like explicitly overcome, you know, Balin is no Jedi and Ahsoka is no Jedi. And maybe Sabine <laughs> needs to realize she is no Jedi. I don't know. <laughs> well, who Yang let her have it. <laughs> that, was that was such a great bit of dialogue. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, I really, you know, as we're talking, I'm thinking about how when I saw her with the long hair, Sabine, I thought, well, that's not the Sabine that we left, right? Because the Sabine that we left was, you know, short hair, kicking butt, you know, mature, uh, hardened by the, the empire and what they did to her people and to her. And, you know, I mean, really... A, a mature, developed, self-assured, confident person. So you can tell that. And I think this was you know, obviously a, a choice that they made to really have her be kind of like old Luke on Skellig Michael, where she's, <laughs> you know, she's got the long hair and she's not really using her stuff and it's all sort of back there and she's just feeding the cat every day, you know, like, um, 
So, oh my gosh, she became a cat lady. A lost cat. <laughs> they are going to sell a million of those cats, by the way. I, I, like, as soon as I saw that puppet, which was really great, I love yeah. puppet aliens in Star Wars, but I'm like, they did that so that they could, sell, in the grand Star Wars tradition of selling, you know, 50 million little Loth cat plushies. <laughs> also, if you want to know how badass Sabine is, she tamed a loth cat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, but you know what I mean? Like having the having all those little hints really show us that she's she's not the same person, that she's kind of broken down and and lost, right? I think whatever went down between her and Ahsoka must have done it. Because they have not told us hardly anything about what it was. They they beat around the bush and they hint at it. But we have not yet seen what exactly was the breaking point between two of them. And I feel like it has to have been something big. And that just has not been revealed to us yet. And I'm okay with that at this point. I mean, we're two episodes in, you know... Yes, it's a short series. Um, it's only eight episodes, but you know, I, I, I'm fine with that revelation being something that is going to be a dramatic turning point in like episode six or something. Um, so, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I want to see, I want to see what went down between them. What about our other sort of supporting cast? Um, the 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 one character that I I think they really nailed was Hera. Yeah, space mom. Yeah. I love space it. Mom. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I that's love, my next T-shirt. I want yeah. that space mom. <laughs> I love Hera, and I just thought that it was great. Like in from the trailers, I was a little bit skeptical, but seeing it in the full in the context of both these episodes, I thought the actress did a great job especially the scene where she has the back and forth with Chopper. Oh, yeah. That yes. was, I, I was like, yes. inject that scene into my veins. That was like pure, li- that was the live action Rebels I wanted. Like, right. that was, that was just great. That, that was, uh, that was Hera and Chopper, you know, like oh, yeah. brought to life. Yeah. It was brilliant. I didn't touch your stuff. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> that was awesome. I was laughing so hard. It was beautiful. Oh, Chopper looked yeah. fabulous in live action. <laughs> oh, yeah. He really worked. It was great. I, I had a friend who is just beginning to watch Rebels um, and uh, was asking about Chopper. And I said, yeah, Chopper will either be your favorite droid in all of Star Wars or your least favorite droid in all of <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah. Dave Filoni once described it as if R2 is your dog, Chopper is the cat. And yeah. he's that he's that yes. kind of cat. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. And 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 of course Hu Young. Um yeah, just we mentioned earlier brilliantly uh filling that role of sort of advisor who just doesn't you know give a rip about what you think or you know i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say period 
still 75% original parts. That was a great line. Brilliant. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Oh, gosh. There's so much I want to get into more about the characters and their dynamics. Um, The... But I, I think I think maybe we should talk about the plot of these two episodes. And they really did, you know, despite the, the difference in directing style, they really did kind of hang together for me as one sort of complete unit, like a a, a, a big prologue um, gave us a clear direction. What do you think about the story that that? we're being set up for in this, in this series. Um, Just a real short answer that I got from my oldest daughter. She said, ah, Star Wars story with a purpose. Uh-huh. Interesting. It didn't feel like all over the place. She's like, this has a purpose. It's going somewhere. And she really liked it. Does, have you found, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the other Star Wars shows that have, uh, been coming out and, and other Disney properties as well. But, but have you found them to be like lacking in purpose? It was funny. Cause the two of us were talking about it and it was like bits and pieces is what everything felt like, like little tidbits you don't have to have. This feels like it has purpose to like the main story. Mm. So it fits into the, the big epic scope of, the story of what happens in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. To me, it was like a Legends novel brought to life. Like, it really was. The story just seemed like something they would have done in the late 90s or early 2000s. This kind of epic, you know, story where they're really expanding the lore. They're expanding the universe. They're bringing in another galaxy into this. And I'm just and I just love that I don't know what's going to happen because I, you know, I I had a lot of theories before this show started and I was pretty sure I knew like the the vague, you know, outlines of what was going to happen. Now, I'm not so sure. Now I'm like, I, I don't really know where they're going with this. And it excites me. So I even even more than. Even more than Mandalorian, like, cause like I could kind of guess where that's going. Okay, you're you're gonna retake Mandalore and all that, and that's great. But with this, it's like I have no clue at all, and that's what's I think is gonna keep me watching. It's just I love that mystery. I love that unknown. Well, ultimately, after my first, at the end of my first watch, looking at the that credits animation. I was like, okay, this has a purpose. (laughs) And I was watching it and I was like, okay, I see. It's sort of like the world between worlds. It's like a map, like a star map. And it's going through all these planets. And eventually we see the Pergil and we see an ending destination, which to in my mind, you know, I, now I've heard that all of the, the planets have been translated by fans and there's sort of this, you know, it kind of lines up with all the different characters that we already have um, and eventually gets to a certain place. Um, and so to me, I was like, okay, Dave Filoni is, is this, is this what, what's going to happen? Are we just, are we just going to go to these certain planets and, 
you know, on our quest and then eventually find encounter the Pergil, which will be fantastic if we see that in live <laughs> live action. Um mm-hmm. and and then we end up finally meeting Thrawn, I assume. Um so as far as you're saying, Thomas, like where it's going to go ultimately and the purpose of that whole thing and where we're going to end up. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't know, but I, I feel like we have, we're on a, we've charted a course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and if I just think that they have, they have brought into canon so many things from the expanded universe. And that's why I say this, this, these episodes felt like an expanded universe novel to me. The, those ships that chase down Sabine on the on the bike are E-wing starfighters, and those are from the the Legends continuity. We have not seen them in canon before. I, I had only seen them as a kid in like those those Star Wars technical manuals you used, that I had, where it, <laughs> it had the, the the spec breakdowns of all the different ships, and and E-wings were only in the novels, and you could only see them by getting those technical manuals of what they looked like. And to see them in live action was great. And I'm like, they've they've canonized so much stuff that I just wonder if they're bringing another galaxy into this. From what I know from the books, I'm like, Thrawn may be messing with things and powers that he really should, that even he shouldn't be messing with. And that's... Ooh. I, I, I have heard the name of what you're referring to, but I don't, uh, I don't know like the whole saga of it as it expanded in legends and, and it would be very interesting. Yeah. To see with the caveat that this is all happening before the pre or the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And my one of the things that I've noticed about all of these Disney episodes, um, all these shows, they seem to be really committed to establishing and um, filling out the continuity. Um, they're they're kind of taking the sequel or yeah, the sequel trilogy as absolute canon, and now they're they're like filling in the gaps to make like the plot holes in the sequel trilogy, uh, less plot holes and more just, you know, gaps to be filled by these stories. And so, you know, to bring in, uh, you know, another plot from legends that, that goes really in a completely different direction, but that's I mean, why I think we're bringing another galaxy into this so that mm-hmm. I think that some of our characters are going to go there and stay there, stay there. Mm-hmm. And it will be a blank canvas for all new stories that can be happening concurrently with the sequel movies, but okay. so distantly separated that they can basically mm-hmm. do whatever they want. Like, for example, Ahsoka, like maybe that's why we don't see her in the sequels at all mm-hmm. because she's literally in another galaxy and she's stuck there or something. Or we get to find out more about Eli Vanto and heading off to the Chiss oh, Ascendancy. Yeah. Whatever happened to that guy? <laughs> See, that's what I want to know. He took off somewhere else. There's a whole other world he got to be part of. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
I so we mentioned earlier that that this show is kind of a slow burn, and um, I've seen this both. You know, some people say, "Oh, it it just drags. It's such a you know s- too slow of a pace." And others like, "Oh, I love that they're taking their time to just soak in the characters and the imagery and the world." And and I'm curious. I think it's undeniable that yeah, this is this is a deliberately slow paced, uh, at least start to the show. Um, did that work for you? Um, how, did did that? Uh, yeah, did it feel like taking the time to soak in the characters, or did it t- feel like it was you know you know dragging its feet or something else entirely? Should I go first because I, I have more of a critical? Um, go for opinion. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first time around, it did not work for me. Um, I felt like it was way too slow. Um, and part of that is because of the expositional dialogue that I mentioned earlier, that we just mm-hmm. have this back and forth. And it was literally like they only had three cameras um, that I'm seeing it from like a directorial perspective, right? Like we just have one camera on one character, the other camera two on second character, and then a wide shot with both of them in it. And that's it. And we just go back and forth between those cameras and that's really boring. (laughs) Um, So I thought that those particular scenes were not successful. There were certain slow, intentionally slow stylistic choices of the Japanese style shot of Ahsoka into the Night Sisters temple at the beginning Um, with Mm. the wind, you know, and the dust and all that, that was very stylistic and intentional in terms of the slow burn. And then Sabine kneeling before her, her helmet to cut her hair a la Kanan or even like Mulan, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. that's very intentional as well because it's meant to be a significant reflective moment. But, um, I did, I think the fight scenes could have been, directed differently i really missed some of the more stylistic shots in some of those longer sequences um and to me that was not just directorial but that was again because of some of the writing and some of the dialogue that had to happen so um i think once i got down what was happening and what, and kind of accepted that, okay, this is what it is, and this is the show, and watched it again a second and a third time, I was able to have more fun with it, I think. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing that pace quicken as we get further into the episodes, because that's a natural, you know, progression, right? That that we're, we always see pretty much with um any story yeah fair enough i felt saturated in the story so i didn't notice a pace one way or the other it's like Hmm. floating with the stream you're kind of like everything's moving at the pace you expect it to every now and then there's a little eddy of something picking up and then slowing down but um nothing felt like i was waiting for something to happen nothing felt like it went by too fast i probably visually is what got me saturated into it 
I just was just taking it in and enjoying it. And, that, and this is the first time I group watched with uh, my friend across the pond in England. We scheduled this all out so we could group watch together. And I was doing a lot of like, you know, commentating and stuff like that with her because she's fairly new to Star Wars. So it kind of was fun, like, you know, talking through it and just jotting little notes and things like that. But no, I just felt totally saturated. And I think the music also did that. This is the first time I purposely watched all of the end credits because I couldn't stop mm. listening to the music. It was just, mm-hmm. I mean, odd, the the music was so beautiful. I couldn't stop listening. The visual in the end credits was amazing. And you're like seeing all these little tidbits and where are we going next? And yeah, it just, it just brought me in. The ending track music is on Spotify right now. So nice. if you're like me mm. and you want to listen to it on a loop all day, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I'm 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 with Catherine. I was I was saturated. That that's a good word for what and it's it I know when when a show really gets me excited when I'm watching it alone and I start talking to myself through the movie. Uh, through okay, the show. It's not when, just me. When 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 stuff happened, well, like like little moments where I was like, ooh, she's got a Padawan braid. Or I'm like, what is going I like I lean in towards my computer. I'm like, what's going on? And I start talking to myself. I start vocalizing. Like part of that is because I'm so used to watching these shows with my younger brother and we comment through everything. And he's he's got his own place now, so we're not together. But I'm still a chatterbox watching something that I really like (laughs) and talking to myself through the whole, you know, thing. And that to me, that said, okay, I was engaged while watching this. I was enjoying it. Otherwise I just would have been silent through the whole thing. And I wouldn't have said anything if I didn't like it, you know? And yeah, just, just being with those characters again, it felt like home somehow. I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, I know these people, I know these relationships, you know, I feel like, you know, the the actors did such a good job. I felt, especially uh, Sabine's actress, got a lot of her mannerisms down, mm-hmm. even if her, mm-hmm. her style, like her hair and, and s- some parts of her attitude, because obviously we're missing some, you know, backstory information. But I, f- I just felt like that. Yeah, that's Sabine. Like she, she does Sabine isms and like, Hera had Heraisms, and it, you you could just tell that the actors took the time to study these characters and study yeah. the animation. And yeah, I felt I felt that the pace it really worked for me because it felt like the show was inviting me to figure out what's going on. That they have set this all these mysteries out for us, and for me, half the excitement is trying to figure is speculating all this wild stuff that I'm sure will be wrong. But that, for me, that's half the fun of it. Yeah, it was yeah. like a ten year class reunion. Where's Harry right. been, and what's yeah. going to happen next in your life? Yeah, it has been almost ten years. I think Rebels started in 2014. I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Oh, and they brought they even brought back Clancy Brown as Ryder Azadi. Yeah, yes, that oh, yeah. was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Um, best best cameo ever. Um, <laughs> um, well, yeah. What what kinds of things did this evoke? Uh, like in terms of themes and and connections, we've we've kind of been talking a bit about 
you know, all the different parts of Star Wars um, and how this fits into the Star Wars universe and mythos. Um, what what sort of resonated well and, and did anything not like feel like Star Wars or not click with Star Wars to your mind? Well, I had one thing that I picked up on from the opening scene as soon as um, Ahsoka found the map, the little mm. golden ball, and right away is like, no way, Treasure Planet. Does anybody <laughs> oh. know Treasure Planet? Oh my gosh, one of the best Disney movies that's sadly deemed as a flop. My <laughs> girls would watch that over and over again. We'd still would like put that in anytime with their home. It is such a fun story. And then to have a map just like that with even the little green light coming out of it and the little projection of the world and everything. I was like, this is great. Of course, my youngest daughter was mad. She's like, oh, how dare they rip it off of that? I mean, <laughs> Treasure Planet was so good and everybody gives us so much grief. Why would they steal from Treasure Planet? I'm just hoping yeah, Dave Yeah, Disney's Filoni, totally going to sue them about I know, stealing their the own. Disney property. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they made it too. I'm hoping Filoni was a big fan and that's his tribute to Treasure Planet because it was mm-hmm. a great story. Well, to me, the theme that I, I really picked up on was saving your friends. I mean, it takes me back to Luke, right? Like Luke being so worried about saving his friends, um, mm. even though Yoda said that he wasn't ready. Um, he went anyway. And and finding and believing in yourself. Um, we see that throughout, you know, all of the major films, um, as well as you know, the animated series is um, this coming of age. And it's odd to think of Sabine as coming of age because of all the things that we've talked about seeing her in in Rebels. But I think um, also when we see in Rebels the epilogue scene that we got to see in live action this time around, mm-hmm. um, I when I watched that epilogue scene in Rebels for the first and second and however many umpteenth times I've I've watched it before this, I was assuming that, wow, you know, look at Sabine, she's so mature and she's ready to go out there and make a difference and find Ezra, right? And now I see it and it's like, oh, she's kind of lost and um directionless and and just knows that she misses Ezra and she wants him back and and so it it really changes that um but the yeah that whole theme of finding in yourself believing in yourself um saving your friends i noticed the theme of being ready for jedi training like which mm. is something that is brought up in both the original trilogy and the prequels like when when uh, there when Hera and Ahsoka have that conversation of you know is Sabine ready? I almost expected Ahsoka to shoot back at Hera. My own counsel, I will keep on who is ready. Like, <laughs> because they were they were bringing up these things like like the not only that it was interesting. Not only does the Padawan have to be ready, but the Master has to be ready for that particular yes. Padawan. 
And I, I like, too, that the um, e- even the name of the episode, Master and Apprentice, brought up the uh, the, the recent novel, uh, Master and Apprentice, by Claudia Gray, which is about Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, which I, I really recommend. Great book. Like, it, I enjoyed it a lot. And, like, we've had so many Master and Apprentice pairs down through, you know... The, the decades of Star Wars. It's just interesting to see how that, yeah, this one is similar and yet so different, you know? And I, mm-hmm. and again, I'm, I'm just interested because of those differences and I'm not sure what to expect. Yeah. I loved the, the way it, it really is kind of walking that line that has almost become like an in-universe argument over whether whether the force is something that you're born with and and you have the power of the force or whether it is something that everyone has access to and and can connect with at some level and it seems to be having that argument itself within the show um at, at least over sabine um and i think that's I don't know. That's that's one of the. I I am into Star Wars because of the Force and and the way the Force, sort of both resonates and clashes with my understanding of the world as a Catholic, and um and so like seeing how that's explored is is always interesting, um but also seeing how how the show explores. Yeah, those things that that kind of either resonate or clash with with my faith. Um, did you have any of those moments of like, yes, this is a very Catholic moment, or this is this is like, oh no, that's that's how Star Wars is is different from from the way we see the world. Um, well, besides the Night Sister stuff making my skin crawl, which it always does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know if this is like explicitly Catholic, but the the theme of loyalty um, when we get into the shipyard and all of that with the um, ex-imperials, the conversation mm. between Ahsoka and Hera where Hera's like, gosh, you know, how can these people still be loyal to the Empire? And Ahsoka says it's not loyalty, it's greed. Um, this idea that loyalty is faith and trust and greed is wanting to be on the side that benefits me. Um, and it just made me think about oftentimes, you know, loyalty to Christ, like trust and faith in Christ in the church can be highly uncomfortable, especially when we're challenged to work on our own attitudes and priorities and And that's, (laughs) that's not greed. You know, greed is you get pushed and you leave that side and you go to the other side that's more comfortable. And, and maybe, maybe you do have to sacrifice for it, but ultimately, you know, you're going to get your piece of the pie in the end. So that's the difference. And I like that, that, that difference was underlined in this episode. And in a subtler way with, with Balin and Shin being mercenaries and, and Balin's kind of nostalgia for the Jedi and, and that, that order. But in the end, 
I'm being well paid. Right. Yeah. And he has his own agenda, too, because he says there's power like we've never dreamed in the bargain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a uh, confessional moment that happened with uh, Sabine and Hu Yang when he asked her, you know, have you kept up with your training? She's like, obviously not, you know, and then I like how he said, well, perhaps it's time to begin again. And it's like, yeah, we fall back, we lose our way, but it's time to begin again. So it's like we always have that in the Catholic faith, stepping out of the confessional. Begin again. You're someone new. Let's go yeah. forward. Yeah, that's another thing he says, right? He said, the past is the past. Move forward, you know. And I like also that he calls her out on making excuses. <laughs> you know, yeah. As, yeah. And, and that was like, as, as, as someone who used to do a lot of excuse making in the past, I was like, I'm like, that sounds familiar. No excuses, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it was that, that, that was one of my favorite just little moments of dialogue in the show. Yeah. And then I hadn't thought about that, Catherine. Yeah. Very almost quasi confessional. Like it's definitely a, Heart to heart to circuits, I guess, moment with there you go. <laughs> destroyed character. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely has a, a vocational aspect to it as well. You know, not just a, uh, a kind of absolution, but, but that implies a calling that implies, you know, it's not just, you know, move on, it's move forward, move toward what you belong, you know, what, where you belong, what you're being called to. And, um, which goes back to what Ahsoka was saying about, you have to be ready, um, that, that, you know, and, and both the apprentice and the master needing to be ready because, you know, like the, like the wise virgins in the gospel, you know, when the master comes, the master comes and if your lamp is lit you are good to go so you'd better make sure you are ready when the call comes and i also say the ezra hologram being that it's, it felt like it was the 10th anniversary they were celebrating when they had the the big mural out and everything and you know she goes and Heads back to her place to have a little quiet moment with her Ezra hologram. It's like, is this like her little like relic for the feast day or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was sad to me. It was kind of like, you know, she was lonely and she missed her brother. And it's kind of like her brother died, you know, Um, that she couldn't go to the, the ceremony because it was too painful. That's what I assumed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not necessarily that it wasn't her style, quote unquote, you know, but that, um, that she was still in a lot of pain and mm-hmm. denial. Yeah. Speaking of pain, I have a question. So, um, those of you who read legends, are mm. you familiar with Darth Sion? That I did oh. not know. Okay. Because... Um. When I was looking up, okay, the Eye of Scion, right, is this machine. Right, right. And uh, I was like, well, what in Star Wars is connected to Scion? And apparently there was a Darth Scion in Legends who was this guy who was like so torn apart 
but he used the dark side of the force through his pain to literally hold together his body. Now, um, now I remember this guy. Yeah. yeah. Now that you've described it, I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. And and he was the one that sought to restore the Sith at this point in, in Legends. So um, I was just wondering, like, if they're drawing from that with the Eye of Scion, like, what is, does that have any implication in what Morgan's relationship will be to Thrawn or, you know, what's going to happen in this story and the, and the character development. So that really intrigued me. I was thinking more in terms, I was like Scion is an alternate spelling that you see in some older Bibles for Zion. Right. Zion Mm -hmm. being the promise, part of the promised land. And it's almost like for Morgan, this other galaxy is the promised land. You know, she needs, she needs to get there. And this is her building this giant hyperspace ring is is her way to, to is her way to Zion, basically. I mean, it's not her um, one ring to rule them all. <laughs> 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 That's what went through my head as soon as I saw that thing. Or Eye like, of Sauron. Oh. Cause, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Star Wars is, has a long history of cribbing from <laughs> both, you know, biblical and and christian history as well as other properties um so maybe it's all of these things together mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a uh, yeah I, we're we're running a little long which i kind of expected cuz you know we've got two episodes to cover here but um i i i want to finish up with a little bit of that speculation that we can laugh at ourselves in the future about getting wrong. Um, Where do you think this is going? And, and maybe specifically, I want to ask what's something that you want to see happen. What's something that you hope they don't do. And um, maybe do you see any points where this is going to cross over with the rest of the Mandoverse? Because we know this is, happening at the same time as the Mandalorian roughly, and it's supposed to culminate in a movie event, um, some unknown years in the future. Um, so, so yeah, maybe we can just like go around and, and quickly, you know, what, what's something that you want to see? What's something that you hope they don't do that you don't want to see? And maybe what's a point of crossover? Um, and, uh, just because you look totally unprepared, I'm going to call on Thomas to go for it. Did I look unprepared? I was thinking. Uh, it was like, okay. Um, in terms of something I definitely want them to do, I de- it, it's a thing I've been saying this whole conversation. I want them to open up a whole new blank canvas for Star Wars storytelling with this new galaxy idea. Because I I just feel like that has so much potential for, you know, to sort of have a, a, a clean slate without doing a giant retcon and erasing stuff. Which Star Wars, you know, in, in terms of its on-screen content has never done, it's never retconned anything away before. And they've always just opened up new avenues for storytelling. And so I, I really want them, I want this to be, to be the beginning of something really interesting what i in terms of what i don't want to see 
I don't want to see this. I don't want this to be a Soka Swan song. It mm. might be, but I'm really hoping it's not because uh, and Ahsoka is a character who I'll admit grew on me because, you know, I, I, I really became attached to Ahsoka as a character during Rebels because I, I, I watched most of Rebels before seeing most of Clone Wars. And so, yeah, it's like, so I, Ahsoka is a character who I now really enjoy as a character and I don't want to see her go away. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hope that this, you know, I, I hope that this isn't her swan song. Um, what, what was the third question? I'm sorry. Uh, points of crossover. Oh, crossover with the Mandoverse. Um, I think, like I mentioned, like, you know, Sabine's a Mandalorian. You know, she's part of Clan Wren. And we don't know where they stand currently, in t- especially now that Mandalore has been refounded and they've kind of they've kind of um uh healed the schism between the you know more b- between the children of the watch and the rest of the mandalorians so i'm i'm interested to see where that leads and also you know since ahsoka and din Djarin have history now you know is she, is she going to call on him for backup at any point you know, mm. that's where I, and I also see points of crossover in this in that we know that there are other people interested in sort of quasi imperial goings on on the edges of the galaxy. Like um, I'm forgetting this character's name, but the X-Wing pilot who always shows up in Mando. Oh, Wedge or. Oh, no. In the one in Mando. In Mando. Yeah. The 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 X-Wing pilot. And oh gosh, yeah, I'm forgetting his name. I'm too. forgetting that character's name, but I'm interested to see if they bring in his character or other characters who are kind of, you know, New Republic people, but who are posted on outposts on the edge and are just more clued into what's going on than people in the core worlds. How about you, Catherine? Uh, what do you want to see? What don't you want to see? And what's the point of connection with the rest of the Mandoverse? I hope that they don't wait till the very end to bring in Thrawn, because I was really hoping with this that we would get to see more of the Chiss Ascendancy and see some of those characters. I would love to see Eli Vanto again, or just to watch in live action a uh, Skywalker do her job. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the uh, the, that, the Skywalkers are the navigators, the the, the Chiss. Essentially, Dune spacing guild navigators, but for the Chiss, <laughs> and they use the Force, and yeah. that's it. It's a very Chiss way of using the Force, but it's very interesting. Yeah, so I would I would love to see more of that world get brought into this. I want to see their ships. I want to see all the things that have only been in my mind. So it's like I'm ready to see what it really looks like. And then, what I don't want to happen. Is the stuff I just saw out there on YouTube today <laughs> with people oh, no. predicting that Ezra was the ex, um, uh, what do you call him? Inquisitor. Oh, mm, I saw yeah. that. I'm like going, wow, that's a stretch, people. I don't <laughs> think so. Please, no. We don't need that. That would just be way too confusing for everyone. And then uh, as far as crossover stuff, I would love to see um sabine with other mandalorians again because i thought she was so powerful when she was 
back on Mandalore and help defending her people. And it was just neat to see her fully herself again. And I need more of her art. I need more of her bombs. All that fun stuff. (laughs) Okay, for me, um, I'll start with what I don't want to see. I don't want to see Kanan again. um, Because I think Freddie Prince Jr. has said, like, the more you see him after his death, the the less it will, the more it will lessen that impact of, of his passing, um, which gets me every time I watch it, by the way. Mm. Um, I think, although in line with that, what I would like to see is Jason Sindula, um, yes, his and, and Hera's son that we saw in the epilogue of Rebels. I would like to see him now. Um, and in terms of a crossover, I'm thinking maybe Bo-Katan and the Night Owls um, will make some kind of an appearance or mention at least. Um, so, yeah. Well, these are all fantastic and marvelous thoughts, and I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Those are our thoughts as much as we could cram into an episode. We would love to hear what you have to say about Ahsoka and about all things Star Wars. So, dear listeners, please drop us an email at starwars at sqpn.com. Or you can join the conversation on social media. We are at on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Or on, uh, are we still on what was Twitter X um, (laughs) at SQPN. Um, But my favorite place is our discord server. Uh, There's always great conversation there. You can get an invite on our website, sqpn.com slash discord. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create this podcast and all the others. Um, So tonight, especially we'd like to thank Stacy V Catherine F, Lindsay P, Ricky S, and Margit M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue bringing the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest to you. Uh, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. We're on all the major sites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more. We've even got an SQPN YouTube channel. Check us out. Um, And of course, you can find all the episodes of Secrets of Star Wars on our website, sqpn.com slash Star Wars. You can also discover all the other shows and activities of the Star Star Quest Podcast Network um, and just have a rollicking good time. Look forward to talking with you again when we continue discussing Ahsoka. So until next time, Angela, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Thomas, your insights are amazing. It's a pleasure as always to have you on. Thank you. May the force be with you. And Catherine, thank you for adding so much to this conversation. Oh, thank you. This is a great talk. Once again, I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. 
Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash oz.